Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Aren't we glad that God has invited us as His people into this place as His children? Amen? Amen. God is good to us, and sometimes His being good to us uh, leads us into dark and difficult places. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are, in our minds, impossible for us to do. We come face to face with what we're called to do, and in the moment that we are about to do it, we think to ourselves, I can't do this. This is more than I can bear. Aren't we thankful today that God's Word says that He will not put on us more than we can bear? Amen? David said it this way, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, in Psalm 73. Even to such as are of a clean heart. But he knew himself, and he said, But as for me, my feet were almost gone, and my steps were well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish, and when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain, and violence covers them as a garment. David didn't like the fact that it seemed like the wicked were doing okay. This was his temptation. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could ever wish for. They are corrupt, and they speak wickedly concerning the oppression of the poor. And they're very proud and lofty in their conversation. They set their mouth against the heavens. They speak against God himself. And their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return and the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. They get everything they want, it seems. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? They blaspheme against God. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. And they increase, and they are rich. Can you see where David's upset? He realizes he was a sinner in the fact that he looked at them and envied them and thought that God somehow wasn't watching. In verse 13, he said, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. 
If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of my God. Then I understood what their end would be. Surely thou didst set them in the slippery places, and you cast them down to destruction. How are they brought into desolation? How? In a moment. They are utterly consumed with terror, and as a dream when one wakes, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise the image of these ungodly. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I, and ignorant I was as a beast before the Lord. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward thou shalt receive me to glory. Isn't God good to us even when we're foolish and we're ungodly and we're proud and we doubt Him? Whom have I in heaven but Thee, O Lord? There is none upon the earth that I desire besides Thee. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let this be our prayer today. Amen. For lo, they are far from them. Those that are far from Him shall perish. They will be destroyed that go a whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare his works. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are tempted often time to look at the wicked and forget the destruction that lays before them and to look at our own self and feel that we are the oppressed when we are those that have been lifted up by your hand. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that as we would look to you today, that we would be lifted into heaven with you. That we would see that we are now, even now, seated in heavenly places with you. And Lord, you have sealed us under that great day of redemption and the judgment that waits, the wrath of God that waits. The world will never touch us, O oh Lord, but they will be consumed. Lord, we pray today as we enter into this place that you would lead us not into temptation, but that you would deliver us from the evil that is our heart. And Lord, that you would feed us from heaven. Lord, that you would quench the thirst that we thirst for righteousness. And that you would change us that we might be different when we leave this place. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. My text today is from Luke chapter 22. We're actually, we are continuing through the book of John, like I said, but uh, John records something that's recorded in all the Gospels, and um, the rendition of the story that I thought would best fitting for what God would have to say to us today is from Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. My sermon today is called, In the Olive Press... And it is about temptation. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39, reads this. And Jesus came out and went. And as he was known to do, he went to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray ye that you enter not into temptation. 
And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Let us pray. Lord, this message I know can have a profound effect upon many of us here today, and I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear it. Lord, that you would speak through me to your people again. Lord, that we would hear your voice and we would hearken unto it, Lord, and that your word spoken to us would give us faith, faith to do the things that you've called us to do, that we indeed might be your children going out into the world, making disciples of men, discipling the nations, that our hearts, O oh God, would be turned to you, to love you and your commandments so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And all the church said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago in my mind, but... I had to look it up. In all actuality, it was 31 years ago. That's when you know you're getting old. A few years ago, you think. Back in 1988, there was a film that came out directed by the famous director Martin Scorsese. And it was called The Last Temptation of Christ. Some of you are old enough to remember it, and you probably remember it with a bad taste in your mouth because it was not a kind of movie that a Christian person would want to see. It was a very controversial film, to say the least, and it was not popular among the Christians because it dealt with the fact that Christ was tempted. It showed him imagining things, and he was depicted in these scenes doing things that we would not like to imagine, but it was very provocative, and it got a lot of press. Now, I didn't see it, but I remember the outrage, and I'm sure... It was worse than I imagined, although I didn't see it. I was bothered simply by the title. I mean, do you like the title, Steve? The Temptation of Christ? And I think I don't like that because I don't like to think of Jesus being tempted. Do you? Do you like to think of Jesus being tempted to do something wrong? I don't like to think of that. The Gnostic part of me, the part that likes to believe that Jesus wasn't a man, that he was really just kind of this perfect spirit being that came down and he didn't really struggle with all the stuff that we struggle with. That's how I like to think of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Does anyone like to think of Jesus having difficulty, suffering, being in the valley of indecision? Does anybody like to think of Jesus that way? I don't. But an honest look at God's Word demands that we do think of him that way because that's really the way he was. Jesus was tempted. Now that may be difficult because you can't imagine him ever doing anything wrong, but the problem here is that temptation is not sin. And I think we've been led to believe that it is, but it's not. 
to make matters worse for us, the writer of Hebrews says something that I was telling my wife the other day, like, I can't grapple with this emotionally. This is difficult. Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus was tempted in all points. Everybody say all points. All points as we are, yet without sin. Do you like to think of Jesus like you? Like he's like you, Derek? I don't like to think of him like me. Now, he wasn't like me. He was sinless, but he was tempted, the Bible says, in Hebrews 4.15, in all points as we are, yet without sin. And you know, a, an investigation into this matter tells me that not only was he tempted in all points as we are, he was tempted in ways we could never be tempted. He could do things he, we couldn't do. He could make anything he wanted appear before him at any moment. Now imagine if you had that. In fact, some of us, in, with, in, with the, the world that we live in, it's almost like we can sort of do that ourselves. But Jesus was tempted in a way that you and I could never be tempted. He was not only tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He was tempted in ways we could not be tempted. We will not be tempted. He was tempted worse. That's, that's kind of hard to think of, isn't it, Ryan? Jesus was tempted worse. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me nervous as I read the scriptures, as I begin to read the story. We get nervous because we can't really think of Jesus that way. God in the flesh. But he's a real man. A man of real flesh. A man who could be tempted, but he was. That's part of what it means to be a man. Men and women are tempted to disobey God. The very first man and woman ever made. They were sinless, were they not? And yet they were They were tempted. When they gave in to the temptations of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, they sinned, but being tempted wasn't a sin. It wasn't a sin that the devil was talking to Eve and trying to get her to eat the fruit. It was sin when what? When she took what he was leading her to do, and he did it. There's a fine line. Some of us even feel guilty when we're tempted. We should not. If you're not tempted, there's something wrong. The devil would love for you to disobey God. The devil would love for you to break God's commands. The devil would love for you to follow him and not the Lord. And so he will definitely tempt you. He's tempted me. James tells us in James chapter 1, which uh, Jeff read for us today, that every man is what? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. And enticed. Now, and entice. Now, we say when we say lust, I mean lust is like a dirty word, right? It's not being used as a dirty word here. It's being used as, as a word that is true. It is true that we have desire. How many of you, in about an hour from right now, will have desire to eat some food? About an hour, hour and a half. You guys, if I start talking about it, your stomachs will start growling so loud that I won't be able to finish my message. You start smelling the crock pots percolating in the other room. And you're like, isn't he done yet? Yeah, right? You will have a desire, okay? And the word here, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. It's talking about desire. Jesus was a man of desire. Jesus was cold. He desired to be what? Warm. He was hungry. He desired to do what? He desired to eat. He was thirsty and he desired to do what? Drink. He had desires. If you have desires, you can be 
tempted. Every man, all of us, lust or desire different things. But when it becomes a preoccupation now, and that's a different thing because the Bible does say this, and you might be saying, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say something about where lust was a sin? Well, it's a different word. It's a word that means it desire that's gone haywire. Desire that's become a preoccupation. Desire that begins to plan and to begin to scheme, right? He said, it's been said of old time that if a man kills a man, that's bad, right? He says, but I say to you that a man who hates his brother, which what is hate, but it's murder. It's the desire to murder. You hate them, right? He said, I say that man is guilty. I say that people say that if a man commits adultery, it's one thing. But I say that if a man looks after a woman to lust after her, these are two different words. One is a, just a normal desire like hunger and thirst or, or, or any desire that we might have. But when the desire becomes a preoccupation, even for food, there, our desire for food can become a preoccupation. There are people, that's all they think about. What are they going to eat next? And how much are they going to eat? And what is it going to be like? And I'd like to have a little more of that. And they think and they think and they think and they think about food. So when your desires take the next level, they enter into the realm of sinfulness because they become covetousness but we're not talking about that today um, that's from Matthew 5 17 from 5 27 from the Sermon on the Mount you have said that it was said by men of old thou shalt not commit adultery but I say that whoso looks on a poor woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart Jesus never did that okay don't worry about it Jesus did not do that but he was tempted in our text he was tempted to the point of making him sick it filled him with sorrow and anguish and even affected his prayers to the father and this will be a little bit difficult for you to hear some of you aren't going to like what I'm going to say but it's right from the Bible and it's difficult Jesus actually did something that he wasn't supposed to do now that doesn't mean he sinned but he did something that he had already sort of said that he, that he shouldn't do, okay? In the sense that it wouldn't be the best thing to do. We'll, we'll get to that here in just a minute. He knew the will of the Father and he was tempted to the point of asking the Father not to have him do what he came to the world to do, right? That's what he was doing. Lord, Father, if this cup could pass from me, can there be a different way? I'd like to not be crucified, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The temptation here that was coming upon him that was so strong was the temptation to pray to God and ask him to deliver him from what he had called him to do. In John 12, we will read this passage. And this, this is a little difficult mental gymnastics. We won't land here too long, but listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 1. It was just a few days before, Steve. He was on his way from Bethany to Jerusalem. And remember, they put down palms and he was riding on uh, the animal that they had got for him, right? And there were people laying out palm branches and there were these Greeks that came out to him and they were saying, hey, are you the Messiah? They were coming to him. They were wanting to make him king right then, and it, was, it wasn't time for that, and it wasn't going to be that way. And he said to them, he said, the hour is come, and he knew that it was his time to die. He was in the last week of his life. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified, which means 
Glorified, it means to be lifted up. He was signifying his crucifixion. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He was feeling the temptation that he had actually experienced before. We'll get into that. They were trying to say, you know what? You can be king right now. All the people are waving palm branches. They're receiving him. The Greeks are coming out. Oh, we should make him king right now. And Jesus is explaining to them, well, I could do it that way. And I could become the king of the Jews because that is what I am. But that's not the way that God wants it done. There was a way that God would bring him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But it wasn't going to be by healing the sick, raising the dead, and feeding the hungry and walking on the water. That wasn't going to be the way. The way he was going to glorify God was to be lifted up between heaven and earth on a cross and die for the sins of the world. He said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He knew that he was going to die. He said in verse 25, he that loves his life shall lose it and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal if any man serve me let him follow me and where i am there shall also my servant be if any man serve me him will my father honor he's really battling right now luke in this moment on palm sunday to not let them make him king this would be a temptation for jesus because he says in verse 27 he says now my soul is troubled Troubled why? They're wanting to make him king. He's supposed to be king. He is the king. This is the easier way. I could just be king, right? And he says, my soul is troubled. What was his soul? He's tro troubled because he's conflicted. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He asked this question in John 12. He says, but, but for this cause came I to this hour. He knew he didn't come to the hour to ride into Jerusalem, Steve, and be king. He knew he came to ride into Jerusalem to be rejected and to be killed for the sins of the world. And then, through death and resurrection, he would be king. But this was a shortcut. Did anybody remember anybody in the Bible that knew what God wanted but wanted to take a shortcut to get there? We'll talk about Abraham here in a little bit. He knew where he was going. He was going to die. He knew it would be crucifixion. It says so in several passages. He knew it was what he had come to earth to do. He even asked a question that leads us to conclude that Jesus was enduring the greatest temptation that he had ever endured on this day in our text. He was facing the fact that he was getting ready to die. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine knowing that in four days you're going to die? Could you imagine this? And then in three days, you're going to die. And then in two days, you're going to die. You're trying to walk around and be with your friends. You're trying to live your life, but you know in two days, you're going to die. And then you come to the day of your death, which Jesus was at the day of his death. When we read our question, he was hours away from his death, and he knew it. And as it came closer, it was like it was pulling him and pulling him, and he knew what was coming. He knew the scourging was coming and the crown of thorns was coming. He knew the humiliation and the shame was coming. He knew that they were going to be scattered and they were going to have difficulty. And he wasn't going to be there to help them. And he did not want to go. And you go, oh yes he did. No, he didn't. Nobody wants to die. There is no stronger desire or instinct in, in a person or animal or anything but the desire to live. And the flesh does not want to die. And Jesus did not want to die either. He wanted to live. 
And had he not gone to the cross, he'd still be alive right now. He knew that. Could you imagine knowing that you would live forever? You'd be the only man that ever lived forever and he could just live forever. Think of all the good he could do. Could you imagine the battles the devil put in it? You know what? You can live forever. You could be the king of all. You could teach people and you could talk to people and you can heal the sick and you can do all of this good. Why are you going to die and leave these people? Don't leave them. Stay with them. Help them. And you go, well, that's not really. I'm telling you, that's exactly was temptation. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I came to this hour. Jesus was tempted. He was in the press of temptation. It pressed him almost beyond what a human body can endure. He was stressed and pressed with temptation, the likes of which we cannot imagine. He was not only tempted like we are, as I had said, but he was tempted even more. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. Everybody say, temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Now, God does not tempt us with sin, but he allows us to be tried. And many times that trial is temptation. And he said, blessed is the man that endures. Now, he says in verse 13, he says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Temptation comes to us, as I said, from our desires. Good ones and bad ones. It's not wrong to want. But it's bad to want something more than we want to follow Christ. More than we want to obey His will. No one says you have to do X, Y, Z with your family. No one says you have to do X, Y, Z with, with the church. There are a lot of things, but you know that there are things that you must do. How many of you had a conviction from God about something that you're supposed to do that is not written down explicitly, thou in the Bible shalt do this? You know what's right. You know where God has led you. You know you can't compromise, right? You know, Jonathan Narwhal gets an offer for a job in Alaska, and they say, we're going to pay you $300,000 a year. Now, there isn't a church up there, and you won't be allowed to go to church, but, but you and your family can worship God uh, in your home, and, and we won't be against that. Now, Jonathan may go, wow, that's pretty tempting. But I need to be in church, and I need to be a part of this church, and I need to do this with my children. I need to do, oh, but, the, but, oh, but we, I have a scenario for you, Jonathan. Right? Just do it for a few years, Jonathan, whatever. And, and Ashley's wagging her head, no, 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 don't do that. What if it was Valley, you know? Uh, what if it wasn't Alaska, right? Jesus knew his purpose, and he was squeezed. He was pressed by the temptation to do something else. You ever find yourself there? You knowing what God has called you to do? Where's, where's, where's Harrison? I don't see Harrison right here. Oh, he's right, he's right beside the thing. Okay. Harrison, I've spent a little bit of time with you, and I think God may deal with you about things. When he deals with you about things, you can never let anything get between you and that. This is what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter if anybody likes it. 
It doesn't matter if people understand it. It's what I need to do. That's what Jesus knew. They didn't want it. What did Peter do? He says, hey, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter goes, oh no, no you're not. Right? No one's going to do that to you, Lord. What does he say to him? This was the devil using Peter to do what? To tempt Jesus. To what? To not be crucified. You might go, oh, he wasn't tempted. Yes, he was. He's in the garden praying to not be. Asking God if there is another way. And this was a press. It was a press like an olive press. And we'll get to that just for a moment. All four Gospels record this. Let's look at it a little bit verse by verse and we'll work our way through it here. Stay with me. Can you guys stay with me for a little bit? Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. He came out and went as he was known to do to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Do you guys know where the Mount of Olives is? The Mount of Olives is right next to Jerusalem. Okay, picture these two mountains. Jerusalem is here. There's a valley in between the two called the Kidron Valley. And next to it is the Mount of Olives. wonder why they called it the Mount of Olives. Because there's olive trees that grow. It was not a place suitable for building. It had the kind of rocks and soil that weren't good for building on. But they grew olives. And there's olive trees growing there right now. That's a whole other thing. Maybe I'll do a podcast on it. Olive, do you know you cannot kill olive tree? Like you can cut an olive tree to the ground and then the sprouts come up from the roots. So the, so the olive trees that, that Jesus was near here in this place, the same ones are still there. Unless you pluck it out, which it's a, whole, it's a whole podcast. I'll do it later. But at the Mount of Olives, and at the Mount of Olives, at the base of it was a garden called Gethsemane. And does anyone know what the word Gethsemane means? It's kind of a pretty name, Gethsemane, right? Gethsemane means olive press. So here Jesus was going to the olive press. I did a, uh, some research on how they make olive oil. And they made it here in this place. And archaeologically, you can't find a lot of things. But, every, but all archaeologists know what an olive press is. Because they take it and they carve it out of rock. Because it's so big and so heavy. That see, they have to carve it out of the rocks themselves. So anywhere there ever was an olive press, it's still there. So like 5,000 years later, it's still there. Why? They carve it out like a big bathtub, and they put the olives in there, and they put this pole and on an animal, and the animal goes in a circle, and the big rock squashes it as it walks around. Can you kind of picture what I'm talking about? A pole with a big rock, and it's just kind of going in a circle like this. And, and when it squashes and smashes the olives, that doesn't make olive oil. I thought, well, that would be it, kind of like grapes, right? No, it's not like grapes at all. So after they're smashed and after they're crushed, they take them out and they put them in this bag, this big bag that's kind of like what we would, uh, kind of like a filter, like a coffee filter kind of a thing, you know. And they put this big long pole and they put heavy rocks on them and they squeeze this bag to where, Benita, you wouldn't believe it, like, like an entire tree of olives being squeezed will come out and be like this much olive oil. It's like insane. Like the amount is, is crazy, but it was worth a lot. If that oil could be used for, for uh, lighting lamps. That oil was used for cooking. The oil was used for food. So this olive press area is where Jesus is. And I've completely jumped off of my page here. All right. Now, nothing happened with Jesus that was happenstance. 
The fact that he went to Gethsemane to the olive press, to a garden called the olive press, I believe was quite a picture of what was going on in the life of Jesus. What was he doing? He was being crushed and he was being pressed and he was coming to the end and he was coming to his purpose and he was coming to his death. And what was happening? He was being squeezed. In, everybody say, in the press. In the olive press. It was, is, it was then in a, a picture of what temptation, serious temptation, did to Jesus and really what it does to us. Now, when we come to the text here, know what Jesus says when they arrive. So Jesus gets to the place. He comes to Gethsemane and he says to them, his opening words to them, pray that you enter not into temptation. Why? That's what Jesus was thinking about, his own temptation. He was going there to pray that God would help him because he was having a difficult time. As he would withdraw from them about a stone's cast away, he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Remember, Jesus had asked someone if he should be delivered from the purpose. And now what's he doing, guys? He's praying. Is there another way? Could maybe this not happen? Some of you are tempted like this. God has called you to certain things and you know what he's called you to and you're in the middle of those things and you're going, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do this. I don't really want to do this. Is there some other way? It wasn't a sin. It was temptation. He told them to pray that they enter not into temptation. Jesus was no stranger to temptation. In fact, if you remember in Matthew chapter 4, we read how that Jesus, after he had been baptized by John the Baptist, it says he went where? He went out into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. And this is right outside of Jericho in the mountains is where he went. They, they built something up there uh, in the place. They believe they know the exact place that he was. I don't know if they do, but they think they do. And uh, he went up there to pray and fast to get his flesh prepared for the battle that he was about to endure this was how jesus began his ministry going out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil now the devil joined him there and he tempted him in several ways but jesus overcame them all by quoting scripture and refusing to do his bidding do you guys remember that jesus had already fasted for 40 days when the devil shows up that's when he shows up he shovels up when you're weak now, maybe I'll do a podcast on fasting. I was looking into this as well. Um, Jesus fasting 40 days is significant because Moses fasted 40 days when he went up to bring the law of God. And then he fasted 40 days when they made an idol. <laughs> and he's like, Lord, don't kill him. He fasted. And so this is a picture of Christ loving his people. And he's fasting for his people. He's coming to bring them into the new kingdom just like Moses was going to do. But he was weak. He was hungry. Satan took this opportunity to try to take the lead over him. He says, you know, you're awful hungry. You could simply just turn the bread, turn these stones into bread right here. Now, would it have been wrong for Jesus to make bread? Is it wrong to make bread when you're hungry? I mean, it would have been a little easier than grinding up the grain and putting a little water and making an oven and building a fire, right? But is there any sin, Heath, in eating bread? I hope not. 
I hope to be eating some bread here shortly. So what was wrong with this? You see, Jesus was giving us a picture in His Word of what temptation is. Temptation is when the devil comes and he tempts you with the right desires. Lizzie, God gives you normal desires like eating and thirsting and whatever. And when, when you get tempted to take those desires and let those desires lead you to follow the devil, they're bad. Can you see what was going on? The devil didn't say, I want you to sin. He said, I want you to just make bread. You're hungry. You see, the devil, what he likes to do is he likes to lead us. Do this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's wrong to make bread when you're hungry. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to fast 41 days. Jesus may have consecrated in his heart to, you know, and made a commitment to God to fast 45. And he was only on day 40. I don't really know what all was going on here exactly, but I do know he wasn't being tempted to do something that we know was sinful. It was just that he wanted him to make bread. And I think this is what the devil does. He begins to try to lead us, to tempt us with our normal desires that aren't wrong. We've got to watch out being led by the devil in this way. He was hungry. Hunger wasn't a sin. Jesus was teaching us that we are to master our bodies and to have one master and leader, and that is our Father in heaven. Amen? I'll tell you this, as I begin to read this, I begin to understand that when God calls men to do great things, they need to be masters of their own bodies. Jesus said, for 40 days, human flesh, body of mine, you're not going to eat. You're not going to like it. You're going to throw fits. You're going to make me sick. But you're not going to eat. He mastered his body. You know, growing up being a hardcore hyper-Arminian, I always thought that was trying, you know, perfecting so I could be perfect. But I'm telling you, there's something else here. And I don't think we emphasize this in our church. We need to be masters of our bodies. People sin when they get tired. People sin when they get hungry. People sin when they get irritated, when they're hot. Like it's warm in here today. You, wanna, you can go into a city and if they're having a heat wave, you know what they're also having? They're having a domestic violence wave. They're having a crime wave. They're having murders happen on a rate that they wouldn't normally happen. Are you telling the truth? Absolutely. Our desires are uncomfortable. Our flesh throws fits. It wants what it wants, and anything that gets between it and what it wants, it wants to get rid of. We need to be masters of our flesh. We need not to have sleep rule our life. We need to not to allow sickness or a headache or pain in our life cause us to be able to, to treat others in an ungodly way. Our flesh cannot master us. We need to what? We need to master it. Not so we can go to heaven, but so we can do the will of God. And what the will of God was here was for him not to listen to the devil and to make himself bread, but to listen to the Father. He had determined to deny his flesh, to draw near to his father in creating food, was certainly not going to help with that. He would not bow down to Satan and get in an instant what he had known that he would take a great deal of pain and suffering to do. Remember this? He tells, he takes Jesus up on the temple, and, he's, and, and, and he or takes him up on the high hills, and he says, look at all the cities of the world. I'll give them all to you if you bow down to me. Now you have to understand who he's talking to. You go, he's not offering that to Jeff Brownfield. 
He's not offering that to Paul Chapman or Heath Goldsmith. He was offering it to Jesus who was what? King of kings and Lord of lords. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of what? Of Christ. Do you see what he was tempting? He was tempting him to find a shortcut to where God was going to take him. Take him. Do you remember the patriarch Abraham? I'm going to make you a father over many nations. I'm going to give you offspring that are like the, the stars in the sky, like the sand of the sea. And they don't come. And so what does he do? He tries to find a shortcut. And he does through Hagar. And what happens? Forever. There's turmoil in the Middle East. First turmoil in his home. It becomes a representative of the flesh. Because what the, the devil will do is God will, will give you an inkling of what he's doing in your life. And you'll try to figure out the shortcut to get there. Maybe God's calling you to be a leader in this church. And you're like, I want to be one right now. And I know how to do that. I can do this. I can do this. I can make this happen. There are no shortcuts with God. And Jesus was being tempted to get right now what He was going to get another day, another way. I mean, imagine. I can give you now what it's going to take you being crucified, teaching your guys... And then they're going to, over thousands of years, disciple people, and eventually the kingdoms of the world will be yours. Don't you think having them right now would sort of be a temptation? You know, you can skip all of that and just get it right now. Instant king of earth. But you have to bow down to me. So now in this instance, he's asking him to do wrong, right? And Jesus points it out. Huh? Thou shalt worship the Lord only and none other. Oh, well, now... But I'm going to give you all that. Your whole goal is to rule the earth. You could just do it right now. See it? And when this doesn't work, he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, hey, you know, throw yourself, because the body, throw yourself off of here and watch, see if the angels are just going to protect you. And he says, thou, have you not read? You know, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. We can get in this. This all interests me. These temptations were directed at Jesus who would reign as king. He wanted him to break the commandments. At the end of this temptation, Jesus said, get away from me. Get. It was then that Satan tempted him that angels finally had to come and minister to Jesus. You remember this in Matthew 4? Angels come and they minister to Him. And they give His body strength. Everybody say, His body. Jesus was a man. This temptation was difficult for Him, but He overcame it. And this is exactly what happens to Him in the garden. Verse 43, There appeared an angel from heaven strengthening Him. And being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I know we're Presbyterians, but this doesn't sound like a Presbyterian prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed in agony to God and cried out and beat the floor. And tears run down your face. And you feel like you're going to throw up because you're calling out to God for something. Anybody ever done that here? That's what Jesus was doing. What he was agonizing over is that he was going to die. And you might go, oh, come on. No, he was. I don't want to die. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to leave my brothers. 
I don't want to do this. Jesus was truly in the press. He was being crushed by temptation. He was like the many olives in the very garden where he was crushed and pressed insomuch that his sweat came out as blood. Now, that may sound like hyperbole, but it's not. Only Luke, who was a doctor, mentions this part of the story. Jesus experienced a very rare medical condition that has been documented. The condition is called hematidrosis. You can look it up. It's, in, it's on Wikipedia. You can check it out yourself. When people experience this, blood usually oozes from their forehead or their fingernails or other skin surfaces. Sometimes it causes nosebleeds and even the tears from their eyes to come out as blood. This happens to people. This episode is preceded oftentimes by intense headaches and pain and abdominal pain and usually keeps them from being able really to do anything. In these conditions, the secreted fluid is more dilute, but it appears to be blood colored while others may have darker bright red secretions from their bodies that look just like drops of blood. This is from Wikipedia. This isn't from the Bible. They documented the cause. They says, you know, for many years they have executed people. And you know what begins to happen to some of these people as five days, four days, three days, the day of their execution. You know what begins to happen to these people? Their blood vessels inside near their sweat glands begin to burst because they're in terror and fear. And they begin to sweat blood. Do you know this is something that people that execute people know? Because it happens. It doesn't happen a lot. But it really really happens it occurs from nothing more or nothing less than extreme stress severe mental anxiety it says that the sympathetic nervous system invokes a fight-or-flight response in the body to such a strong degree that the hemorrhage of the vessels that supply the sweat glands they explode The effect on the body is weakness and dehydration from anxiety, water, and blood loss. Leonardo da Vinci described Roman soldiers who were standing on the precipice maybe of a hill and they're looking down at the legion of their enemies that they're about to go into battle with knowing that swords and spears and shields are about to be clash together in battle and that their lives are probably going to end in just a few moments that those soldiers would begin to sweat blood out of their faces and from their bodies as they would enter in to battle Jesus was in battle against what? his flesh fear, stress, weakness, headache, dehydration Abdominal pain. This is what Jesus endured that night as he fought the devil in his final moments before being taken into custody and crucified. This is once more evidence of his humanity and his real pain and suffering and what agony he endured for us. I'm so thankful we don't have to endure that because we could not. 
We could not endure that kind of agony, but He can, and He did. Amen? He's not asking us to endure that. He knows that we can't. But He is telling us to pray that we would not enter into temptation today. He told the disciples on that day to do so, and He asked Him to wait and pray. But what were they, guys? While He was laboring in love for them and sweating blood, they were asleep. Now, you know, some people say, oh, they were, you know, they were just slackers on the job. How many of you have gone through horrible stress and all of a sudden you just want to sleep? Has this ever happened to anybody? I know. It's happened to me. You know, something horrible, something traumatic, you're dealing with something... You know, someone is dying and you're there or someone's marriage is coming apart or something is horrible happening and you're, you're trying. And I come out on the other end and I'm like, oh, God, have mercy. Like, I just, like, I understand what this feels like. You labor in stress. They were, it says they were asleep for sorrow. Verse 45, when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. This is how they handled stress. This is how they did. We do it too. We're weak just as they are. We like to pull the covers up over our heads. But folks, that was not what they should have done that day. They should have waited for Jesus and they should have prayed for Him. He needed them and they weren't there for Him. Matthew chapter 26 uh, and Mark 14 uh, give us more detail of this story. And I'll read to you a passage from Matthew 26, 37, it says, And he took Peter with him up there to the mountain, and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. And he went further, and he fell upon his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he came to his disciples, and he found them asleep, and I like this, that Matthew and Mark include, they say, he doesn't say this to James and John, he says it to Peter. Peter, could you not watch with me an hour? Now why was he singling out Peter? Peter had just a few moments ago said, though everyone be offended, though everyone leave, no, I won't do it. I don't care what happens, they can threaten me. I'm the toughest, I'm the meanest, I'll never leave you. I love you more than everybody else, right? Peter. Could you not even wait with me an hour? Like, you're so tough. I don't, I know, in my mind, I think I hear these stories, and I hear stories of uh, torture and, and these prison camps, and I, I'm like, you know what? I would be tough. I reached down to pick up my shoes the other day, and my fingernail caught on the edge of a wooden chair, bent my nail back, and I'm like, oh. and I'm like, I would probably give out in like five minutes of torture. I mean, none of us are as tough as we think we are. Peter thought he was, but he wasn't. Could you not watch with me one hour, Peter? What does he say to him next? He says, Peter, can you watch and pray that you enter not into temptation? For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Guys, this is a message for us today. We need to beat down our flesh. We need to master our flesh. We need to not be proud and think that we're strong when we're not. In fact, the Bible gives us a warning about this. He that thinks he stands 
Take heed. Right? This is why we pray. We're praying for physical endurance, for supernatural protection and strength. Temptation is rough stuff. We need help. Jesus needed help. Surely we know that we will need it too. We should be praying for help. He said, why sleep you? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Rise and pray. Jesus said this to them that day. He's saying it to us. Rise and pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray for yourself and ask others to pray for you. It's what Jesus did. In fact, do you remember how he told them, Luke, how he told them to pray? Of all the things he mentions in the little short prayer, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 5, what does he mention? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Why are we praying not be led into temptation? Because we can't take it. We're not Jesus. And He's with us. And our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's Word gives us assurance that I think that we should take with us into our prayer closets and into our counseling rooms. Learn it. Quote it. And claim it for yourselves and your children. Call on God in your hour in the olive press. Persevere to the point of sweating blood if need be. But do not give in to temptation. Let not sin have dominion over you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, We should not tempt Christ as some tempted who were destroyed by serpents in the wilderness. This is from 1 Corinthians 10.9. Neither murmured you as some of you murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them for an example. They are written for our admonition upon all of you who the ends of the world are come. Verse 12. Wherefore he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Men of Foundation Church, young men, you need to say, I will master my flesh. If I need to fast and I need to pray and I need to ask others to pray for me, I will not become a slave to sin. I will not give in to temptation. I'm going to fight the good fight and I'm going to say, God help me with it. He that stands, he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. This is the scripture you should memorize. You should have it in your mind. You should quote it. You should help people with it who are struggling. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you but that which is common to man. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. People of God, there was no escape for Jesus. There was no way of escape for him from death. Death is where he was going. He was put on what will not be put on you. Jonathan, God's not going to put on you this kind of temptation because you couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. But God will with those temptations that come into our lives, he will make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. Look for it. I'm a little bit silly. I'll end with this. Do you know in my life when great temptation comes upon me, do you know what I look for? Because I believe the Bible. I'm like, where is God? I know God's going to help me. I've had this happen to me, Luke, over and over and over again. I'll be tempted and I'll be right in the middle of a sin. I won't plague you with my little stupid sins or big ugly sins, whatever I've committed in my life. I will be right there and I'm about to do it and God will 
Put something that will make it easy for me to go the other way. And you know what? I'm not always taking that other route. But you know what I have noticed? Every time that I get in a place where I feel like I cannot overcome temptation, God provides the way of escape. We don't always take it, and we're fools, and we rush headlong into sin. But I'll tell you what, if you look for the way of escape, it'll happen. A phone call will happen. You'll get a text message on your phone. You'll get interrupted. The, you know, uh, your screen will lock up on your computer or whatever it is. God will help you. And if you want to be stubborn, you can, you know, uh, reboot. If you want to be stubborn, you can ignore. If you want to be stubborn, you can keep plowing. But God has created a way of escape for every temptation that comes to us. He does not put on us what we can't bear. Picture Jesus in the press of temptation, praying that this cup would pass from him, but knowing he needed to drink it anyway. The picture of him being in the garden and the blood that was literally coming off of him was the same color of what olive oil comes out when it's squeezed. It doesn't come out clear, if you've ever seen it. I watched the process. It comes out the color like of blood. And they put it in a settling pool, and only when it settles does that clear olive oil come. It's very interesting. God doesn't do these things on accident, does He? Put Jesus in the olive press while He was in the press of temptation so that we could remember today what temptation is. It's being in the press. May we trust God in it. May we know that God provides a way of escape for us because there was no way of escape for Christ and that He died for us. We don't have to do that. We couldn't do it anyway. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for having Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all four record this trying time in the life of our Savior. For we will be in many trying times ourselves, O oh God. We will be in the press. We will be stressed. We will be in physical agony. But O oh God, may we fast and pray and get our body into subjection that we indeed might be those men of God and women of God who can do Your will who are not ruled by our bellies, who are not ruled by our flesh, who do not kowtow to what our flesh tells us we must do. May we, by Your grace, O oh Lord, master our flesh, mortify the members of our flesh, and follow after holiness without which no man shall see God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.